0: Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. This is going to be a little bit of a long one, so just bear with me. Uh, There are a couple of anniversaries on October 10th, maybe, in the year 732. Also, maybe, uh, this is the anniversary of the legendary Battle of Tours. I say legendary because a lot of it is really wrapped up in legend. There was a real engagement that took place uh, at Tours uh, sometime in general around 732 and around October. We don't know exactly when, uh, but this seems to be as good a date as any uh, for historians. Uh, Between the Merovingian forces that were led by the... uh, mayor of the palace, uh, their mayor of the palace, Charles Martel, who actually was the founder uh, of the Carolingian dynasty, although he himself never served uh, as king. He's the founding figure of that dynasty. Uh, Between those forces and and an Arab Berber army uh, of the Umayyad caliphate that had entered France from uh, Iberia, from Spain, from the, uh, the region that uh, was uh, Al-Andalus, or was known as Al-Andalus while the, uh, the Muslims were, were ruling it. Um, this is a legendary battle because in, in the Western imagination, it saved Christendom, essentially, or at least Latin Christendom, from being overrun by Islam. Uh, it's considered one of the great battles of history uh in more modern scholarship there is a lot there are a lot of questions about what actually took place here uh and particularly about whether or not this was an army of conquest uh that had come out of al-andalus into france or just a raid uh essentially a one one big raid an attempt to uh grab some loot and go back home um either way it doesn't really matter the legend is is what matters and that's uh, that's charles martel's saving Western civilization uh, from uh, from the Arabs. But, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions I should say about, or I would say about uh, this battle. Uh, on October 10th, nine, uh, 1911, an uprising in the city of Wuchang, which is now part of the city of Wuhan, uh, which was led by the Tong Menghui movement uh, sparked the xinhai revolution Uh, this is a revolution that ended in february 1912 with the toppling of the Qing Qing dynasty uh, and the formation of the republic of china marking the end of thousands of years of imperial chinese rule Uh, it is commemorated today in taiwan uh, as the national day of the republic of china Uh, On to the news. The United Nations General Assembly voted on Tuesday to elect Bulgaria and Albania to the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, Now, Russia had also been contesting for one of the two East European Council seats that were up for grabs, having been kicked off of the Human Rights Council last year after its invasion of Ukraine. It finished a distant third with only 83 votes in the 193 member. General Assembly, though, as the AP noted in its uh, coverage of this, it may be somewhat disturbing to the U.S. and other Western leaders that Russia received even that much support. Uh, That's probably higher than they were hoping. Uh, In other voting, Brazil, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic were elected over Peru to fill three seats in the Latin America and Caribbean group, while uh, a whole bunch of countries, 10 of them Burundi, China, France, Ghana, Indonesia, Ivory Coast, Japan, Kuwait, Malawi, and And the Netherlands all won, put that in quotes, uncontested elections uh, for their seats. On to the Middle East and Syria. According to the New Arab, the Syrian government on Monday called for a ceasefire with rebels in Idlib province days after a drone strike on a military college in Homs province killed over 100 people. That attack sparked a long weekend of back and forth violence that left over 40 civilians dead, according to rebel sources. Interestingly, there still hasn't been any claim of responsibility for the college attack, and there are some doubts as to whether any of the rebel factions in Idlib could have pulled something like that off so far from their Stomping grounds. I will leave it there rather than get into any uh, idle speculation. Rebels have essentially demanded that the government stand down first before they'll agree to the ceasefire. Elsewhere, the Turkish military attacked several Kurdish targets in northern Syria over the weekend, with one strike reportedly killing at least 29 people at a Kurdish police academy outside the city of Al Malikiyah late Sunday, early Monday. On Saturday, Turkish officials said their overnight airstrikes had killed at least 58 Kurdish militants. The Turks are still supposedly retaliating for that October 1st suicide bombing in Ankara, an attack that, to be clear, wounded two people and left nobody dead apart from the two attackers themselves. In Lebanon, although uh, this situation is uh, directly linked to what's happening in Gaza, which we'll get to in a moment, I think tensions along the Israel-Lebanon border are sufficiently elevated to warrant their own uh, discussion. Cross-border artillery fire continued throughout the weekend, prompting what appears to be a mass exodus out of southern Lebanon by Tuesday morning. Hezbollah was presumably involved in this at some level, though Palestinian groups, including Hamas, uh, that have a presence in southern Lebanon— Uh, have been uh, claiming responsibility for at least some of this activity. At least six people were killed in various clashes on Monday, three Hezbollah fighters, two Palestinian militants who were attempting to cross into Israel, and one Israeli soldier. I've also seen reports of cross-border shelling between Israel and Syria, but without any evidence to the contrary, I would assume that's an extension of what's been happening along the Lebanese border, given Hezbollah's presence in both countries. There's still no indication of any major Hezbollah mobilization that might suggest a second front, uh, but this remains a situation to watch. In Israel-Palestine, there's obviously a lot to talk about here. Let's just dive in with the caveat that I'm not sure how much of this is confirmed. The death toll since Hamas, uh, and again, I'm using Hamas as a shorthand. There were other Gazan-Palestinian factions involved as well. Uh, Since Hamas launched, the attacks on Saturday has risen well above 3,000. Of those, over 900 were killed in Israel, over 900 have been killed in Gaza, and more than 1,500 are Palestinian militants killed by Israeli security forces. Thousands more people have been wounded. All of these figures are likely to be wildly out of date by the time anybody listens to this, but given the limitations of this uh, newsletter medium, I unfortunately cannot help that. Uh, The death toll in Israel is likely to rise further as recovery work continues. It seems like every day brings new, horrifying details about the extent of Hamas's atrocities, while the toll in Gaza will rise as Israel's already brutal retaliation shows no signs. Of easing, The number of dead militants is based on an Israeli military estimate, and, and I'm not sure how accurate it is. Uh, the number of people displaced in Gaza is approaching 200,000, and I put the word displaced uh, kind of in air quotes there because uh, there's really nowhere for them to go, uh, and we'll have more on that in a moment. Most of them have made their ways to schools or other shelter sites, though these buildings are no safer from airstrikes than any others at this point. Uh, I do not know whether the Israelis have finally resecured all of the territory that was seized by militants on Saturday. My sense from what I've read today is that they are mostly back in control of these areas, but there may still be isolated fighting happening in a few places. There, was report, there were reports of fighting in Ashkelon, uh, for example. The New York Times reported that Israeli forces had mostly regained control by Tuesday, which seems clearly to indicate that there are still some areas where the militants have not yet been dislodged. Uh, an Israeli ground incursion into Gaza seems almost a foregone conclusion at this point, though it's anybody's guess when it will start and how extensive it will be. As violent as the Israeli bombardment has been since Saturday, this will likely be much worse for combatants on both sides and for civilians in Gaza. Israeli opposition leader Yair Lapid told reporters on Tuesday that the end game here is, quote, no Hamas in Gaza, end quote. Perhaps he meant it in the, I brought you into this world and I can take you out sense, given Israel's role in in fostering Hamas uh, into uh, the position that it's in today. Uh, Lapid can't speak for this Israeli government. Obviously, he is in the opposition, but I don't think he's far off of what the plan is. Uh, But completely uprooting and eradicating Hamas would mean a full-scale incursion and military occupation slash administration of Gaza, and all I can say uh, is good luck with that. Uh, at his uh, at his own website, informed comment, Juan Cole made what I think is an interesting point. Uh, his comment commentary is, is a bit heated but if you you get past that uh, he made an interesting point considering uh, when considering Hamas's future prospects uh, which is that like Islamic state before it though admittedly under much different circumstances uh, Hamas has through its own atrocities invited a massive retaliation while operating out of uh, essentially a fixed known home base uh, that did not work out terribly well for is. Uh, if you can find one of the uh, the group's caliphs or former caliphs, uh, they can explain that to you. Uh, and it probably won't work for Hamas uh, if you assume that the group intended Saturday's operation to benefit it politically – Uh, as opposed to being essentially a a suicide strike or one last big blowout. Uh, One big difference in these two cases is that uprooting and destroying Islamic State's caliphate did not require obliterating one of the most densely populated places on Earth, uh, which Gaza is. Uh, Regardless, even in this analogy, uh, Islamic State wasn't completely destroyed, and I have a hard time believing that Hamas will be either. Uh, Egyptian security forces are trying to block any sort of exodus out of Palestinians out of Gaza as that might save lives, but it also raises the specter of mass Palestinian displacement slash ethnic cleansing, which it goes without saying is uncomfortable to consider for a host of reasons, including but not limited to the present Egyptian government's allergies to refugee and indeed basic human rights. Uh, The Israeli military briefly issued an advisory uh, for Gazan residents to use the Rafah checkpoint to enter Egypt on Monday before somebody in the Israeli government yanked on the leash and they announced the checkpoint's closure. They've since bombarded Rafah, I guess, to emphasize that closure. Uh, There is, in case you were wondering, no indication that the Israeli military is planning to open any humanitarian corridors uh, to move aid into Gaza after all that would defeat Israel the purpose of their ongoing siege. Uh, Israeli National Security Minister Inamar Ben-Gvir announced on Tuesday that his ministry will be distributing thousands of assault rifles, that's a quote, to volunteers uh, in border communities and mixed Jewish Arab towns. Uh, That's uh, actually the verbiage that Reuters used. Uh, While couched in the language of self-defense, I don't think there's much question that this is Ben-Gvir's invitation to vigilantism, so we'll have to see how that works out. Uh, This is not terribly surprising. uh, Last item here. But apparently the Qatari government has decided to put a hold on any prisoner exchange talks for the time being. Uh, I can't imagine that there was much appetite for that on the Israeli side. Although uh, Hamas leaders have threatened to execute hostages in retaliation for Israeli airstrikes, I have not seen any word that they've actually begun doing so. Uh, on to Asia and Azerbaijan. According to uh, Haidar Asayev, uh, who writes for Eurasianet, the governments of Azerbaijan and Iran are experiencing a bit of thaw, a bit of a thaw in their frequently chilly relationship. Uh, for example, they're they're apparently well into talks on reopening the currently shuttered Azerbaijani embassy in Tehran. Uh, what is particularly interesting here in, in uh, Isayev's piece is that the Iranians recently broke ground on an infrastructure project that could, if carried to completion, create a viable transit corridor through Iran between Azerbaijan proper uh, and its Nakhchivan exclave. Uh, that would obviate, presumably, uh Baku's impulse to open such a corridor through southern Armenia, a prospect that has both the Armenian and Iranian governments concerned about a de facto Azerbaijani annexation of the Armenian-Iranian border. Uh, in Pakistan, Pakistani Taliban fighters attacked a military unit near the Afghan border in Balochistan province on Monday, killing two security personnel. Five Taliban fighters were also killed. In Myanmar, that country's military raided a displaced persons camp in Kachin State late Monday night, uh, killing at least 29 people and wounding another 59, according to local media reports. The Kachin Independence Army rebel group apparently has a base near the camp, so this may have been, uh, I guess, a misfire by Myanmar forces. On the other hand, it may have been uh, entirely intentional. On to China. Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the U.S. Senate, led a delegation of lawmakers to China over the weekend on a trip that included a meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping on Monday. Nothing substantive came of it. Really, nothing substantive could have come of it. Schumer's not in a position to make any decisions on behalf of the U.S. government. Uh, But as we've been tracking efforts in this newsletter to rebuild some sort of direct relationship between the U.S. and China, I think the Schumer-Xi meeting probably belongs in that discussion uh, in Africa and Sudan the Sudanese and Iranian governments announced on Monday that they will restore bilateral diplomatic ties the two countries broke those ties off back in 2016 around the same time Iran and Saudi Arabia start stopped talking with Sudan following the Saudi lead uh, admittedly Sudan doesn't have much of a government these days but I guess you have to take good news wherever you can find it uh, these two governments are the two governments will endeavor to uh, to reopen their mutual embassies soon, according to a statement from the Sudanese foreign ministry, a wonderfully vague uh, promise, I guess. In Liberia, voters headed to the polls on Tuesday for a general election headlined by the presidential contest between incumbent George Weah and and challenger Joseph Boakai, among many other contenders. This is a rematch of the 2017 presidential election, which Weah won fairly handily in the runoff. Uh, Given the multiplicity of candidates, a runoff is likely again this time around, uh, and the incumbent will need to contend with his lackluster economic record and fairness. This is partly thanks to COVID in order to win re-election. The race has been marred by incidents of violence between the two frontrunners uh, supporters, so that may be something to keep an eye on. In Niger... More than two months after a military coup ousted that country's civilian government, the Biden administration on Tuesday finally got around to admitting it. The administration had previously hemmed and hawed about officially designated the, designating the July coup as a coup because of the automatic aid cuts that would trigger. Anonymous senior administration officials told reporters on Tuesday that they decided at this point to acknowledge reality, quote, after exhausting all avenues to preserve constitutional order, end quote, Uh, In Niger, I think what this means clearly is that they've given up hopes that the junta might organize a sufficiently rapid transition back to civilian rule. Uh, The designation will cost Niger hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially, in military and financial aid, and potentially, at least, probably, I would say, even severs the U.S. military's most important counterterrorism relationship in West Africa. There is apparently still no plan to withdraw U.S. forces from Niger, though their activities have already been heavily curtailed, and in light of this news, the junta may eventually order them to leave the country. On a similar note, the French military began its withdrawal from Niger on Tuesday. There are currently about 1,400 French soldiers in the country, and French President Emmanuel Macron said last month that he intends to have all of them withdrawn by the end of the year. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, unspecified gunmen attacked a Chinese-operated gold mine in the eastern DRC's South Kivu province on Saturday, killing at least four people, including two Chinese nationals, and wounding three other people. Uh, there's been no attribution here as far as I know, but a lar- there are a large number of armed groups active in South Kivu, uh, and the province's mines are a frequent target. Meanwhile, the Congolese government has given an East African African Community Peacekeeping Force until December 8th to leave the country. The EAC authorized this peacekeeping mission last November to deal with the M-23 militia uprising in North Kivu province, and last month it renewed the mission through December 8th. The mission has achieved virtually nothing, and M-23 activity has in fact been on the rise so far this month, hence the decision to call it quits. On to Europe and Russia, the, the governor of that country's Belgorod oblast, Vyacheslav Gladkov, said on via Telegram on Tuesday that Ukrainian shelling had killed two people in that province. In Moscow, meanwhile, detained Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich Lost an appeal on Tuesday and will remain in custody on espionage charges through november thirtieth and likely beyond. Uh, Russian officials have talked openly about orchestrating a prisoner swap for the US with the US for Gershkovich, but they say they'll only do it after his trial is over and they keep delaying the trial. In Ukraine, with winter approaching, it would appear the Russian military is once again, as it did last fall, targeting civilian Ukrainian energy infrastructure. This comes from the Washington Post. Those regular overnight Russian missile and drone barrages are increasingly finding their way to energy facilities. Ideally, the Ukrainian power grid would be more resilient to this sort of thing than it was a year ago. But in reality, parts of it still haven't been fully repaired. So it is likely quite vulnerable. In Poland, a number of senior Polish military officers, including the military chief of staff and top operational commander, have resigned, due reportedly to a dispute with Defense Minister Mariusz Boz, uh, uh Sorry, I, I know I'm mangling that. My Polish is uh, just not—it's uh, it's sub uh, grade school level, really. Frankly, it's embarrassing. Uh, sorry, I mentioned this mostly in light of the parliamentary election Poland is set to hold on Sunday. Polling. Uh, for that election puts the ruling United Right Coalition in the driver's seat heading into that vote. But a big national security scandal on the eve of an election taking place amid the war in Ukraine could throw some uncertainty into the race. Uh, In Kosovo, uh, NATO has apparently decided to beef up its peacekeeping force, KFOR, with heavier armament uh, in light of recent tensions between Kosovo and Serbia. The head of NATO's Joint Allied Force Command, Naples, uh, U.S. Admiral Stuart Munch, characterized the rearmament as giving KFOR combat power. Uh, So I guess uh, they've got that going for them now? Uh, Good for them? Sure, why not? Uh, in Slovakia, former Slovakian Prime Minister Peter Pellegrini told reporters on Tuesday that he and his center left Hlas party would only consider joining a governing coalition led by Robert Fico's Smer SD party. This is significant because Pellegrini's support is likely crucial to any chance Fico has of forming a government following last month's election. It is also significant because Pellegrini says he will insist on what Reuters termed foreign policy continuity as a condition addition of any alliance with Fico. As you may know by now, Fico has pledged to cut off Slovakia's military assistance to Ukraine, uh, and his election was the source of much consternation within the North Atlantic world for that reason. Uh, he may have to modify that pledge now to satisfy Pellegrini. On to the Americas in Ecuador. Seven men who had been arrested over their alleged involvement in the murder of Ecuadorian presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio back in August were killed while in custody over the weekend. Six of them were killed Friday in one facility in Guayaquil, and the seventh was killed Saturday in Quito. Uh, this clearly seems too coincidental to be random, but authorities have been reluctant to release any further details on the killings. Uh, the Ecuadorian government did fire the head of the country's prison system and a senior police official in response and has moved six remaining suspects in the Via uh, murder to a different, undisclosed facility. Uh, in Colombia, that government's ceasefire with the FARC Estado Mayor Central militant faction went into effect on Sunday and so far appears to be holding. Assuming all goes well for the next few days, the plan is for Colombian authorities to formalize the ceasefire and begin full peace talks with the EMC next Monday. In Guatemala, the Guatemalan government has begun sending riot police out to clear road blockades that have been erected by protesters in support of President-elect Bernardo Arevalo in his ongoing battle with Attorney General Maria Consuelo Porras. Current President Alejandro Giamatti uh, Giamatti, uh, has been tolerating the protests, but seems to have run out of patience with them. Uh, So far, there's been no indication of violence, but this is the sort of situation that could flare up quickly, and Arevalo on Monday warned of the possibility that the government might try to trigger violence as an excuse to clamp down on pro-Arevalo activity. Uh, in the Dominican Republic, uh, the Dominican government on Monday said that it would allow the passage of basic goods like food and medicine into Haiti, but otherwise that border will remain closed. Dominican authorities closed the border last month over a dispute regarding Haiti's use of the shared uh, Dajabon River or Dajaban River, a.k.a. the Massacre River. Swaths of the border were already closed before that because of rampant gang activity in Haiti, uh, and additional Dominican security forces will apparently be deployed to the border to prevent this partial reopening from fueling any illicit activity in the Dominican Republic. Uh, And finally, in the United States, given everything that's happened over the past four days, uh, you might think that the Biden administration uh, would slow down, if not outright freeze its push to conclude an Israeli-Saudi diplomatic normalization agreement. Uh, I'm here to tell you, according to the New York Times, at least, that it is not. Indeed, administration officials are characterizing normalization as an antidote to the kind of violence Hamas unleashed on Saturday, despite the very real possibility that this normalization talk might have been part of the rationale behind the attacks. So that's an interesting leap of logic. Uh, over at The Nation, Spencer Ackerman reported on Where Things Stand, and I'll read you just a couple of paragraphs of his piece. Uh, Quote, the lie at the heart of of American-led normalization is that this is peacemaking and is somehow a substitute for dealing with the core Israeli-Palestinian issue or even more illogically is a positive contribution in that area, end quote, says Daniel Levy of former Israeli peace negotiator and president of the U.S. Middle East Project. Quote, the Accords is choreographed by the U.S. intentionally keep in place an Israeli-Palestinian status quo, which is antithetical to peace and security for all, including to equality and rights for the Palestinians. It is part of an architecture which encourages Israeli hubris and which has nurtured the very failings in the Israeli system which came into play so powerfully during the attacks carried out by the Gaza-based resistance movements, end quote. When the U.S. champions resistance to occupation in Ukraine, it does so from the position, however cynically, of supporting a threatened democracy. There is no such veneer when it comes to a U.S.-Saudi-Israel deal. Israel is an apartheid state whose government is working hard against the wishes of enormous members of its citizens, numbers of its citizens, at crippling its own democratic institutions, even as those institutions are unaccountable to millions of Palestinian subjects. Saudi Arabia is an absolute monarchy that holds an abundance of capitalism's most important commodity. It didn't take long for Biden to unravel his promise to make Saudi Arabia a pariah as continued dependence on hydrocarbons and rising gas prices stemming from U.S. sanctions on Russian oil brought Biden to fist bump MBS in Riyadh last year. That's Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince. That's largely what prompted Secretary of State Antony Blinken to say shortly before Biden's trip that notwithstanding human rights concerns with Saudi Arabia, quote, we are addressing the totality of our interests in that relationship, end quote. Uh, that's Spencer's piece. This is me again, speaking of the U.S.-Saudi relationship and the main thing that binds those two countries together. The Saudis, according to the Wall Street Journal, have said they would be willing to increase oil production after the new year if that would help get a deal done. Woo-hoo! Uh, they said they'd only do it if global oil prices are what they consider high, uh, and really there's no reason to believe them anyway, but surely this is something, right? 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 It's something, yeah? Yeah? No? Okay, well, on that note, that's all for us tonight. Uh, Thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter, and thanks to those of you who are Foreign Exchange's subscribers, especially if you are a paid Foreign Exchange's subscriber. Uh, I could not do this newsletter without you. Uh, And if you're not a paid Foreign Exchange's subscriber, if you've just come upon us in the last few days even... Uh, please consider making that jump. Um, you know, I, I uh, fully endorse uh, sticking around for a little while and uh, seeing if this is really something you want to support. But if you do come to that conclusion, please do, because uh, it's only through subscriber support that that we can keep going here. And uh, I hope everybody saw Sam Heunicke's, uh piece uh, in the newsletter earlier today, by the way, speaking of which. Um, that's the kind of thing that's only possible, really, only possible through subscriber support. So, if you're you're here because of that uh, in particular, uh, please do consider becoming a paid subscriber of the newsletter. Uh, with that, uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.